Bonjour tout le monde. C'est bien que je parle en français et tout le monde comprend, non? Okay, no, never mind. It's worth a try. Anybody speak French here? Ah, formidable. Um, Judith, just come out here. This is, this is my better half. And uh, just, uh, we're going to share a few things about, um, about France before we get into the word. Um, as uh, Steve was saying, we've just had the French national team for New Ground uh, meeting here in London. And um, I help lead that alongside Dave Holden. And so a number of us are preaching in London churches and getting the opportunity to build our relationships because we're a relational uh, movement, we're a group of churches that not just uh, happen to be together in a list on a page or a website, we want to work together. And particularly in this day and age where people move around and get called of God to, whether it's job or whatever, to move from one place to, to another, it's important that we build our relationships strongly. So it's a great opportunity just to share for a few moments perhaps about what's going on in France. And even if uh, you don't know much about France, you're not related to France, you don't like the French, maybe God <laughs> will do something with you. Um, there's, a, there's around a dozen... Uh, churches in the nation of France that relate uh, to New Ground, New Frontiers, um, and one in, uh, in, in Switzerland, in Geneva, um, and some church plants uh, about to start as well. We're excited about that. It's taken a long time to get some of those going because the nation of France, uh, in terms of Christianity, um, has in the past, in history, some of you may know, persecuted Christians persecuted revival in the nation. And so while some people, well, as in any nation, hold to the name of Christian, they might say they're Christian because they're born in the West or something like that. You know, it happens here, doesn't it, as well in the UK. In terms of actual people who subscribe to follow Jesus, uh, there's less than 0.1%. That's fewer than India in France. And so the need for uh, us to pray for and to send and to support and to encourage and to train is huge in France. And so we're privileged to be involved in that. We have uh, been involved for uh, well, well over 20 years, 25 years or so now. The first church um, that related to new ground, new frontiers in France was in Rennes, which is the capital of Brittany. And that's sort of actually geographically the closest to us in the Channel Islands in Guernsey. So we sent a family uh, to be involved with that, and they're still based there, Paul and Mandy Hayter, and, uh, and involved in that growing church and have planted out since then. Um, but uh, we really want to encourage you to pray for France. And when you see wh whatever it might be to do with France, think about the Christians that are there, very many feeling isolated. I know we can all feel isolated. You can feel lonely in a crowd. But when you're perhaps one of just a few in a nation like that and a church where perhaps the next evangelical church, the next charismatic church is miles and miles and miles away, then you can feel very, very alone and isolated. Do you want to say anything? Um, we've just got, I've got more excited about being involved in France in recent years. I mean, we were both involved, but I had young kids and didn't manage to go very often. Um, we, just to tell you a bit about us, we've got three grown-up daughters um, who are 23, 26, and 28. So we're in a really different season of life now. 
Um, I work as a nurse, which is lovely, but limits me a little bit in terms of travel. But we are hoping that more and more I can go with Jonathan. And I think for us, living in Guernsey, where we felt very alone a lot of the time, because we're geographically, we're an island with sea all around us, it's not that easy to get in, you know, go and see another, for example, our local church is Wren, and that's not that easy to get to. So it's been... A, a real passion of ours to support people and to make friends with people and just get alongside them, um, couples, families, people in leadership that just don't get that opportunity maybe to talk honestly about themselves and how they're doing and their marriages because they haven't really got anyone else to turn to who's nearby. So that's a real passion of ours. We're loving getting involved in that. Um, Jonathan no longer leads our local church, so we've been released to um, do more out, outside of Guernsey. And a few people who've known us for years and years, like we've been in Guernsey, I've lived in Guernsey 30 years, and we've been in the same church all that time. A few people said after they prayed for us um, in this new season, they felt like we'd been born to do this, which was really encouraging. And it does feel like that. It's a really good season for us where we feel God's using us more. But if you want to pray for us, pray that I can learn French. I am trying, <laughs> and I need to try harder. <laughs> but um, John's brilliant, you know, as I'm sure you'd imagine. And um, I find it a bit of a struggle, so I need to work harder on that. But we are buying a property in France as we speak, which is a bit of a <coughs> project. <laughs> and anyone who's ever had a project probably understands what that means. It's going to take a bit of time to get it kind of livable. But we just feel it's not just a nice idea to have a holiday home in France, but more that it's part of God's plan for us to be more present in the country, perhaps spend some more extended periods there. And um, it's exciting. Hmm. Yep. Thank you. Great. Yeah, you can sit down. Yes. <laughs> just a, a bit of background for me, just to put in context. Um, so I was born in Guernsey. My family, the Latox, uh, it's, it's an old Norman name. And uh, they've been in Guernsey for at least 800 years. So I think we're accepted as local now uh, in the island. In fact, it's so... I can trace the family back to within half a mile of where we currently live. So that's how adventurous we are. Um, but Guernsey and Jersey are not part of the UK. Um, just to balance that out, we're not part of the EU either. So that probably suits everybody here in one way or the other. Um, we have our own governments. Um, we're part of the British family, obviously part of the Commonwealth. Um, and uh, so you can travel there fairly easily uh, from here. But until probably just after the Second World War, the majority language in Guernsey was Norman French. And uh, my background is I was adopted by, at 11 days old by a couple lovely Jesus-following couple who hadn't been able to have children of their own. Um, they were in their 50s when they adopted me, uh, only child. It's quite unusual. Um, but I grew up speaking that, their language, which was Guernsey French. And so until I, was, until I went to school, I really didn't speak much English at all at school. And Guernsey French is very similar to French. It's an old Norman language. 
um, but it's not quite the same as French. So whilst when somebody says, are you fluent in French, I tend to say no, because whilst I understand a huge amount, when I get going and after a couple of glasses of wine, I start using some words that sound a little bit Chaucerian to some of the French people because they're a little sort of old because that's what I grew up with. But, but nevertheless, um, that's it. I also say to people who come over to visit Guernsey in Jersey um, and say, uh, so, so when did you stop being a colony of that? I said, well, we've never been a colony of, um, of, uh, uh, of Great Britain. Um, in fact, my ancestors were fighting on William the Conqueror's side when he came over and conquered England. So if there's any colonisation going along, it's we who colonised you. So i just like to point that out at the start here. Okay. Um, I got involved in politics through leading a local church in Guernsey, uh, as Judith said, which uh, we did for um, uh, over 25 years. And because if you're a Christian, it's not just about what happens here on a Sunday morning, is it? It's not even what just happens in in your small groups. Uh, It's not even what just happens in your home. It's about the whole of life. And at some point, there's an overflow of what God does inside here into the life out there and the people that you relate with who don't follow Jesus and don't know Jesus. And for me, that was a big learning curve because I wasn't very good at relating. I wasn't very evangelistic or anything, but I found myself increasingly concerned that the world around me was changing rapidly and becoming less and less Christian. And my attempts to do something about that, our laws were changing and all sorts of things, was to lobby government. And so I I sort of led a group of churches in Guernsey to petition government to not change the law, to keep what was basically I saw as Christian laws. And I I had basically zero success at doing that. Um, got, got a lot, made a lot of enemies by doing it, but, but, um, but has zero success. And then I thought, well, the next thing to do is to try and encourage some Christians to stand for election in our parliament and to get elected into government in Guernsey. And uh, so I tried to encourage Christians in my church and other churches to do so. And, you know, they, they were all sort of, oh, well, that's very nice and goodbye. One, I haven't got the time for that. And secondly, I couldn't cope with this. And, you know, I, I married a wife and bought a field and that sort of thing. All sorts of excuses. They didn't want to do that. And I was praying one day, and we're going to come onto the subject of prayer, because I'm just using this as an illustration to begin with. Because in that prayer, I didn't really know what God was going to do. I was praying for God to lead me to people that would be willing to stand up and be counted and be elected into government and help redeem the sort of uh, anti-Christian culture that was taking over when God did something in my heart. Because when we pray, it's it's a two-way street. And I found myself saying to God, "Wow, God, will you please lead me? Will you change so-and-so's heart? Because he's such a... Coward. He should be standing up, and he's got and he's got some time, and he's got the resources, and he's intelligent, he's articulate. Why doesn't she do that? Why she could? She's very good at doing this. Why can't she stand? And God's saying, well, "What about you?" I said, "But you know, I, I, I'm a church leader, and and I haven't got any time. You know, you've given me all sorts of other things to do." And he said, "But what about you?" And so that's really how I found myself uh, standing for election. We don't have parties in Guernsey. Hallelujah. So you can stand as an independent, because you have to, really. And, um, <laughs> and that means what you see is what you get, is a sense. I didn't have to compromise on things. And um, the, the, the time I got elected was quite remarkable, because we didn't really think, or we certainly hadn't prepared for me to get elected. And on election night, 
uh, when the returning officer was reading out the results. I had my family, who were quite young at the time, and some, a, a group from church who'd helped me campaign. And, and he announced that I'd, I'd been elected. And so we all jumped up and down and then hugged one another. And Judith looked at me and she said, what are you going to do now? And I thought, I have no idea whatsoever. Because this is the other thing we're coming on to today. The exciting thing about being a people of the Spirit and a people of prayer is that anything can happen. And it should be like that for us as Christians. I am not a courageous person naturally. I know that. God has to do something in me. He did it the first time when I was baptised in the Holy Spirit in my late teens. He sort of turned me inside out and I found courage that I never could have mustered up myself. But by the power of the Spirit and the power of prayer, God makes, makes us into a people of adventure. Who wants to be a people on an adventure today? Yeah? Okay, even if you don't, that's what, that's what I'm going to preach on, really, because this is what God does. So we're going to read a, um, a, a bit of the Bible, which is always a good idea. Um, so if you've got your Bible, congratulations. If not, I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 6, just a few verses from what might be to some people quite a familiar uh, part of the Bible, but it's where Paul, writing to this church in Ephesus, at the end of his letter, he paints this picture of a Roman soldier, and he says to the Christians in Ephesus, in the church there, put on the full armour of God, be strong in the Lord, in verse 10, and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armour of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, we can stop there for a moment. What he's saying here is, and it's an important thing I need to be reminded of so often, particularly in the political world, because it's easy for me to see flesh and blood as my enemy. It's easy for all of us to have somebody who's a neighbour, somebody we work with, somebody in our family, who really gets on our nerves, who is always against us in some way. And then we tend to think it's them and us. It's a flesh flesh and blood thing. It's not. There is a spiritual battle happening in the heavenly places. And you and I are caught up in it. And that spiritual battle requires spiritual weaponry and force to deal with it. Not, not earthly force. It's not about how clever I am at making an argument for something or how good you are at keeping a stiff upper lip when that person attacks you at work or says something bad about you and you don't retaliate. It's about the spiritual power that is at work in us And the good news is this, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But there is a battle going on. It's a real battle. It's not like a battle. It is a battle. It's just that we don't see it in the same way. So let's just carry on from there. Verse 13 of chapter 6 of Ephesians. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes to your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith 
with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. We'll just finish there because that's really what I want to focus in on. Praying at all times in the Spirit. And then Paul, the Apostle Paul quite often writes in this way where you think, what on earth does he mean by this? Yeah, you ever get that when you read some of Paul's letters? Because he uses words which seem to be sort of mixed up one with the other. And sometimes he gets so carried away you don't know where to put the comma or the full stop in these things. But when he's talking about the sword of the Spirit, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, he then says, he qualifies that, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. How do you pray with all prayer? What does that mean? I mean, when would you not pray with all prayer? Well, you have to unpack it a little bit to understand what he's saying, and we're going to do that. And to, to link it into what he means by using this picture of the sword of the spirit now what i said before is the the soldier that he's painted here is a roman soldier the armor is like that of a roman soldier you've been very familiar to people uh, that paul was writing to and people in his day roman soldiers were everywhere in the roman world and particularly in ephesus which was a model colony um it was like this country was when we my ancestors had uh, taken it over and it was a model colony and uh and so Roman soldiers would have been present there, and they would have understood this. And, of course, it, some of it makes sense to us, perhaps a shield to protect ourselves from the flaming darts of the enemy. You know, the enemy comes sometimes, and the way in which he gets at you and me is he shoots a fiery dart that comes from afar. These darts are like arrows. Arrows are for long-distance fighting. Yeah? You don't shoot an arrow, generally, to somebody who's up close. You, you shoot it a long-distance and we need shields because they come, fiery darts, they come against us. We need shields to be ready to quickly lift up against them and knock them off. Once you've got your shield in place, the shield of faith, it's pretty easy to knock them. You see them coming, you think, boom, off you go. Right? Keep your shield of faith. In that, the faith and faithfulness, the word in Greek is pistis, it means the same thing. Faithfulness means you, st- you stay steady. And faith is to do with belief, obviously, in, in Jesus Christ. But then he goes on to say this, this sword of the spirit. Now, the Roman soldier's sword was not a long, great thing that you see on Game of Thrones or those sorts of things. It was a short sword. It was made for close combat. It was really like a long dagger. So what he's talking about here when he talks about praying in the spirit and the sword of the spirit is a, about close closeness. It's about close fighting, where you've got something sharp, it's two-edged, it's easy to get out and quickly deal with someone who comes up close. God wants you and I to be equipped to fight those things that are close by, and we do that, we do that by keeping close to God. We keep close to his word, and we do so by his spirit. He calls the, the sword of the spirit the word of God. You know, some people argue about, are you a spirit church or are you a word-based church, those sorts of things. Nonsense to argue those things. Quite clearly, Paul says, the two are the same thing. Now, he was writing to people that didn't have the Bible as we have it today. So what, what did he mean by saying the sword of the Spirit, which is the word, of the word of God? How did Jesus deal 
with the devil, when he was at close combat with the devil in the wilderness, when he was being tempted, he quoted the word of God back. Because the devil came quite cleverly with, with accusations. And they do this, get them, bow down to me, and I will give you the whole of this world. And Jesus said, it is written. He knew his Bible. Brothers and sisters, I'm not sorry to say this, but we need to know our Bible. We need to read our Bible. Not just listen to a preacher preach it. Not just listen to somebody else doing it. We need to read it for ourselves. I was so glad and privileged that I was brought up by two, two, two people who loved me. I never had any doubt about the love of God for me, about adoption, because they loved me. My parents, I became like my parents. You become like the one you love if you're close to you're in a family with, with someone. You're in a loving family. I know that's not the same for everyone. People have different experiences in, in natural families as well as in adoptive families. But for me, it, I, I, was, I knew I was loved. I never had any doubt whatsoever. They explained to me from an early age what it was to be adopted, that they'd chosen me. And so I had very little problem in understanding how God adopts us. And my father and mother spoke Guernsey French. I, I ended up speaking Guernsey French because I was in their loving family. My father was musical. I ended up doing music as a degree my, because my, my father was an organist and a pianist. There was music in the home. I, I loved him. I loved music. I just became like him. He had a receding hairline. I've overtaken him in that department. <laughs> you become like the one you love. And God wants us to get close to him. We do that through the Holy Spirit. We do that through the Holy Spirit. We do that through knowing the word of God. And then the spirit of God in us uses that knowledge. And it doesn't need to be a huge amount of knowledge, but what little you do know, he takes it and he makes it into energy for us to be able to fight effectively in this battle that we're in. And Paul is writing to a church here in Ephesus, interestingly. You know, when Paul writes letters to other churches like in Corinth and uh, in Thessaloniki and in Colossae, all of those sorts of churches. He has some issues to deal with, yeah? He has some problems that they've written to him about, perhaps. He has some contentious stuff that's going on in the church. He has to address it. And you read that, you read those letters, and you sometimes can feel better about your own situation. And, oh, well, thank God for my church. You know, it's not quite as bad as, as Corinth, for example. But when Paul was writing to Ephesus, he has no issue to deal with. This is a church that seems to have it all together. He has no correction to make. And yet what is interesting is right from the very beginning of Ephesians through to the end of his, his letter to them, he mentions, mentions over and over again this aspect of the spirit, of being full of God's spirit. So in, in chapter 1 and verse 17, a verse that is very significant, meaningful for me, because it was in this, uh, it was through reading this chapter that I received the Holy Spirit because I was struggling as a teenager with the whole concept of what being filled with the spirit really meant. But in chapter 1, you find Paul saying this, uh, in verse, well, verse 16, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God, this is his prayer, this is his prayer, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. 
having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in the, in, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and all power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. Again, it's very difficult to put a full stop and commas in those sorts of things. But he starts it, he starts that bit by saying, I'm praying for you that you might have more of the Holy Spirit, that you might be filled with the Holy Spirit, that you might have this spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. This was to a people who seemingly had it all, all right. He had it all to get, they had it all together. And yet he wants them to have more of the Spirit. Why do you think that is? Well, I would suggest that it's also to do with what we find in Jude, the letter of Jude in verse 20, where again talks about praying in the Spirit. And it says praying in the Spirit, it links it to this, that you pray in the Spirit, because he's talking about battling there in Jude, and he says pray in the Spirit to keep yourself in the love of God. Pray in the Spirit to keep yourself in the love of God. You know, there's another letter to the Ephesian church, and you'll find it in the book of Revelation. John, the Apostle John, interestingly at the beginning of Revelation, he says he's in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, which gives you a clue that sometimes we can not be in the Spirit. Yeah? So it's not automatic, just because you're a Christian, you're always going to be in the Spirit. But John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and he, had, and he had this revelation of Jesus. He saw, first of all, Jesus as an incredible, huge, great, tall being with hair flowing and with a voice like a mighty rushing waves and waters. And then he saw this, interesting enough, a sword coming out of his mouth. So the mouth and the sword, the word, spirit, all sort of linked together. And then John prophesies through Jesus speaking. Jesus spoke to him and said, write to these churches. And one of the churches that he's told to write to is the church in Ephesus. This would have been a few decades after Paul's letter to Ephesus. And in that letter, in that message from Jesus to the church in Ephesus a few decades later, you find that he has some good things to say to them. He says, I know that your deeds, are, I know you're trying hard, I know you're doing lots of different things, you're very active. And then he says this devastating thing, but I have this one thing against you. Do you know what it is? That you have lost your first love. Brothers and sisters, it's very possible for us as individuals and as churches to be very active in the things of God, to do what seems like tick the box, all the right things, and yet we have lost our first love. We've lost the contact, the closeness, the proximity with Jesus. I believe that praying in the Spirit is the way in which we keep ourselves in the love of God and by so doing, we keep in the presence of God because it is all about presence. We had a, a word before during the, the worship about the presence of God. The presence of God 
is how we keep alive and keep in the love of God and keep energized to do the things of the God and the things of God. And that is that is how and why we must pray in the Spirit. When Paul says in Ephesians, pray in the Spirit um, and uh, pray all sorts of prayers. What he's saying is that the spiritual, our prayer in the Spirit, my, my prayer that is through the Holy Spirit helps lead me into other prayers. Who finds prayer difficult? Join me and put your hand up because let's be honest here, it's not easy. And it's meant to be hard. Jesus almost said that when he talked about prayer and said, you know, it needs persistence and all these sorts of things. How does God help us to pray Lots of different sorts of prayers. Supplication is one, petition, intercession, lots of different types of prayers. How does that happen? Well, I sort of learned this the first time early on when I was a student. I had a, uh, a, a, a pastor who was uh, mentoring me and uh, discipling me, and he was ever so helpful because he set me and my friend the task of learning how to get up early in the morning and pray. And if any of you have, any of you have ever done this, I, I was very excited by it. So could I have my water, please? I was very excited by the idea that I was going to learn how to pray every, every morning and get up early and pray and be disciplined and that sort of thing. First day, it was fantastic. I got up. My friend got up. We met together. We prayed. Second day, it was almost as good. Uh, third day, I got up. My friend was nowhere. And uh, I, I went for a walk by myself, and eventually he caught me at breakfast. And I said, where were you? He said, oh, just, I didn't make it up. Sorry, the alarm went, and I don't know what happened. Next day, the opposite happened. <laughs> Somehow, my leg didn't make it. Well, one leg made it out of the bed. The other one didn't. And within a week, it was pretty much a disaster. I remember saying to, well, we both said to uh, the guy who was discipling us, Sydney, we said, uh, what, what is it? This is just too hard. You know, I mean, it's hard. And it's, or if we, we had actually got up, and I think I'd been to his bedroom, because he was, he was in, we were in halls, and he was a bit further down, in my pyjamas, and sort of, oh, you want to pray? How are you feeling like praying? You know, and, and we sat there on each other, well, on, a, on a bed and a chair, in his room, instead of going for a walk, which was what we were told to do, and it was quite wise, but nevertheless. And we sat there, and... We said, uh, thank you, Lord, for um, another day. You know, that was, that was it. Sydney said to us, pray in the Spirit when you get up. Pray for a good five to ten minutes in the Spirit. Pray in tongues. Let the Spirit of God invite him to come. Huh? Why? He said, well, you don't have to use your mind then. It, that's how you get the energy. And that's how, that's how I learnt. I learnt that somehow there's... When you pray in the Spirit, it unlocks energy and it gets through that human barrier. And I'm not just talking about early morning. It's hard for us to pray sometimes at the best of times. Praying in the Spirit, that's why Paul says to the Corinthians when he's correcting some of it, he said he, in chapter 14 of, of, the, of 1 Corinthians, he talks about praying in the Spirit. He said, but, you know, I would rather pray uh, in, in intelligent words as well. But he said, I'm glad that I pray in tongues more than all of you. He's talking about the power that he gets individually to do that. And we, brothers and sisters, need to do that because it is about the presence of God. Praying in the Spirit brings the immediate presence of God. And when God comes, when his presence is there, it's, well, strange things can happen. Amazing things can happen. Adventures can begin. 
But you might say to me, well, God's present all the time. What are you talking about? God's present. He's, he's here. So what difference does it make to pray in the Spirit? Well, it's true. God, God, is, God is present all the time. But let, let me give you an illustration. Um, I need a volunteer here. Let's have John. He's staying with John and Lucy. They've been excellent hosts. I'm now going to humiliate John in front of all of you. No, no, that's unkind. Give him a big round of applause. John. John, can you choose another bloke here who's about the same height as you, please? Steve. I thought he was taller than you. I don't know. All right, well, let's have a look. Well, that, that'll do, that'll do, yeah. Can you go back to back, please, guys? Just, just, okay. Um, he is taller, I'm afraid. I'm sorry, sorry yeah. to disappoint you, but anyway, um, no, that's fine. You can, that's, that's about, that'll do, that'll do. Right, okay. Um, guys, can you feel one another? Are you back to back there? Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, you're right. Yeah. Would you say that you are in each other's presence? Yeah. Yeah, 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 you are. Would you agree that they're in each other's presence? Well, they are, because they can feel one another. They're in the same room together. They're quite close aren't they? Yeah, quite close. Quite close. Okay, uh, can you turn around, please? This is where it... Yeah, just turn around, please. And can you face and touch your noses together, please? No, closer, 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 a bit closer. Noses. All right. Okay. okay. No, no, no. Keep your noses together, please, gentlemen. That's right. Now, just stay like that for a couple of hours. No, just, just. All right. Are you, are you in each other's presence now? Yes. yes. Would, you, would you agree with that? Yes, okay. Well, what has changed? Because actually, the, the distance apart isn't a lot different than it was before. What has changed here? Okay, you can sit down. Give them a round of applause. What has changed? Perspective has changed, hasn't it? In terms of inches, uh, they're, they're the same distance. But perspective has changed. Praying in the Spirit, getting into the Spirit of God, allowing the Spirit of God to fill us so that we, we pray in tongues, we begin to sing, we begin to worship, we begin to be conscious of the presence of God, changes our perspective. And, and that can change our emotion. It can change our complexion. You know, when, again, it was mentioned, I think, during our worship, when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to the mountain of transfiguration. <coughs> They'd been with him all the time. They'd been in his presence for years at that point. They'd followed him. But something happened there. And they became conscious of him. Their perspective changed. They became conscious of Jesus in a different way, to such a degree that Peter starts blabbing, as some people do in those sort of, oh, this is fantastic, let's have some tents, let's have an Ashburn and Bible week here, that sort of thing. And, you know, it, it, it can cause us... <laughs> to be a bit embarrassed, which is sometimes why perhaps we don't, we resist a little bit about getting into the presence of God by his spirit. I love a story I heard years ago about um, a, a woman who, whose heartthrob was Harrison Ford. And uh, she, she'd never seen Harrison Ford in the flesh, but she was on holiday in Hollywood. And she went into an ice cream shop to get an ice cream, and she suddenly became conscious that Harrison Ford was two people behind her in the queue to get ice cream. And she was absolutely overwhelmed, panicked by this. And she quickly paid for her ice cream and left. And she got outside the shop. She's, she, was, she couldn't find her ice cream. She started looking around, what do I do with my ice cream like that? Harrison Ford approached and said, is there something wrong, ma'am? 
And she said, I can't find my ice cream. He said, you put it in your purse. <laughs> when we're in the presence of someone we love, we can do some strange things. Now, God isn't phased by that. Because some of those strange things we need to do. We need to have the power and the courage of God to speak to that person that's a bit obnoxious or a bit frightening. We need to have the power and the spirit of God to go up to somebody and say, I feel, I've got a word. I feel God speaking to you. And brothers and sisters, we do that through the Holy Spirit. We do it by praying in the Spirit. We do it by getting into the presence of God. There is nothing like the presence of God. It doesn't matter whether you became a Christian yesterday or years ago, like me, when I was just five years old. You need the presence of God. And it doesn't matter how many times you've had the presence of God, you need the presence of God today. Pray in the Spirit. We're just going to give us an opportunity right here at the end to receive the Spirit afresh, if that's all right. And to begin to pray in the Spirit right now. Maybe for, for many of you it will be, well, just another time that we do that. That's great. Maybe for some of you it might be the first time. But we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. Do you want to stand if you want to join with me? It's, seriously, think about it. If you want to join with me, you want more of the Spirit, then stand. We'll not make a, a big thing of this. But we'll just gently ask God by His Spirit to come upon us. Thank you, Lord.